0: Headlines. Have you ever been drawn into reading a news article by a sensational headline? Yellow journalism is a practice that gives extreme headlines to content in order to draw the reader in. Emergency. Economic meeting takes place. Doomsday. Possible government shutdown in the works. Last chance. Candidate stumps for last-minute votes. Journalists aren't the only ones to give sensational headlines to the events of everyday life. We do it, too. We give extreme headlines to our life experiences in a way that can cause us to miss the real story. It's over. Matt is ten minutes late. I'm a failure. I didn't get the job. These headlines may be possible, but until they become fact, they are sensationalism, which won't help us or the situation unless our goal is to make the outrageous headline real. When we get caught up in the overdramatic headlines, our best chance to be free is, like a good journalist, to investigate the story, to stop listening to the stories being told, and seek the true story for ourselves. Free from bias, we try to let the facts speak for themselves. This can change the narrative. What time did Matt and I agree to meet again? Matt is ten minutes late. Was I prepared for my interview? I didn't get the job. Our headlines become questions that help us to stop telling the story and start understanding it. Maybe Matt is stuck in traffic. Maybe the job wasn't suited for me anyway. After letting ourselves investigate the content, we can then look even deeper for a grander narrative. For those of us who have a sense of meaning and understanding of what our life is about— our headlines can be reflective of our greater story, why we are here, and how we choose to live our lives, our sincere values, and our faith. Our true headlines become quite powerful and unchanging no matter what the story. Everything is in divine right order. Matt is ten minutes late. Everything works out for my highest good. I didn't get the job. When the headline changes, our understanding of the story changes, And at times, the story itself shifts as well. To take the headline away completely and see without reservation, what is there is to be true to what is. To insert a headline is to tell a story. To realize a fundamental truth about the story that we feel at the deepest level of our being is true is to affirm our spiritual narrative. Living in accordance with your spiritual narrative is all about establishing a belief in your truest story. Releasing the stories that don't support it and experiencing that which accomplishes in your everyday life. Here is a four step process in discovering your spiritual narrative, no matter what the story is that you're telling yourself. Step one, identify the story you're telling yourself. Is it that someone wronged you? Is it that things never seem to work out? Is it that life has failed you again? Is it that this time it will be different? The story we tell ourselves may be true and may be false, or it may be partly true and false. There may be multiple stories being told. Identify them. Step 2. Investigate the story. Is it true? Investigating the story means to become objective by stepping out of our experience and then questioning it. The experience is real, but is it based upon a true story? Is the story we are telling ourselves about what happened? based upon facts, or is it based upon past judgments? If the story we are telling ourselves is based more upon past stories than on what really happened, it is wise to pause and look closer at what is happening. Step 3. Be true to what is Being true to what is does not focus so much on remembering the past and identifying concerns about the future, but ultimately, it is about getting clear on what really happened and the possibilities of how before we conclude too quickly why. Often we won't know why something happened. Most times there is no why. The why is something we assign that will tell the story, not because of what happened, but in response to what happened. Before we respond by finalizing a story about what happened and what it means, even if it is a positive one, it is wisest to first be true to what is. Step 4. Embody Your Sincere Values What a story means will ultimately be what we decide about it. No matter what our initial motives or another's motives are, or the way life is, the underlining facts may be unknowable, but our decisions about them will decide our path forward. By embodying our sincere values in response to anything that is going on, we move towards our whole story. We turn the page and move on from stories and events that don't serve us. We help complete incomplete stories that seem never-ending. When I am in a fight with my girlfriend, it is not a solution to our argument that heals things. It is the realization of love that brings us closer together. When I am struggling at work, it is not a change that causes that struggle to cease. It is the realization and application of my sincere values that allows me to surrender control and trust in those values to demonstrate what's best for me. When we identify and embody our sincere values, our spiritual narrative is able to inhabit whatever the situation we are in, and it is not only a greater story, but a better self that emerges. It may sound inconsequential to the fate of the world, but I once suffered great emotional stress realizing one evening I had locked my keys in my apartment for the third time in a year. I went immediately into berating myself. What's wrong with you? How could you be so stupid? I left a message with the property manager and walked to a dinner appointment I had on the main street. I sat outside on a bench and my thought was, why is this happening to me? I noticed at this point my appointment was 10 minutes late. It was cold outside and I was grumpy. At this point, I had entered into sensationalism, telling myself stories that can, at times, echo some reality, but ultimately are trying to affirm an absurd and negative reality. Our first opportunity to call forth our spiritual narrative is to identify the story we are telling ourselves. True? False? Sensational? Irrational? It doesn't matter. This is where we begin. I ask myself, is what I'm telling myself true? Certainly, I'm experiencing the perceived consequences of the story as if it were true, I'm upset, afraid, and feeling dumb. I'm engaged in the second step, investigating the story. I see the damage it is doing. Stories just don't have beginnings, middles, and ends, but consequences too. If I'm experiencing consequences I don't like, they may be deserved, but what if they're not? I should look at the story. Am I really stupid? What are the facts? I left my keys in the apartment and my dinner appointment is late. Now is what I am feeling a consequence of a sad luck story, or is it a choice? What now will I choose? I begin to calm down. I realize this story doesn't even need to be given a bad meaning. Maybe I'll even laugh or write about it someday. At this point I try to be as true to what is as possible. This is the third step. It means that instead of engaging in storytelling for now, I am just going to observe the best I can without judgment. I am going to listen, to watch, to be present. This is the simplest step, and yet it can also be the most challenging. By being fully present without a story, we become vulnerable to change. Being true to what is brings me deeper. I begin to align myself with my deeper truth. I start to remember my core values and virtues and the spiritual beliefs that have grown out of them. Sitting on this bench, I lower my eyes toward the ground, and I begin to silently chant, Everything is in divine right order. Everything is in divine right order. Everything is in divine right order. order. As I'm feeling the way beyond my measly predicament, I realize that what I'm doing isn't just making an affirmation. It isn't just making an act of belief or of faith, it is making a conscious choice. This is the final step in the process, embodying the values I hold most sincerely. These values aren't the same for all of us. They may show up differently at times. In that moment for me, it was faith, humor, and goodwill. When I did embody those values, the circumstance changed. I stood up, looked in the restaurant, and there was my dinner appointment. Right there. A few minutes later, the manager called and apologized for not getting back to me sooner. Things felt guided, I felt supported, and I had a great time. This is a true story that really happened to me. It's a simple story, yet it becomes full with meaning as I use it as a way to become conscious of and to utilize my spiritual narrative. I'm not proposing that chanting an affirmation instantaneously transforms circumstances, but it can help us to confirm a belief that behind every scene there is a story, and behind every story a theme that is seeking to be realized and fulfilled. If we can know what our theme is, we can stop getting trapped in the dramas and begin to live our lives with improved focus. When we know the theme of our story, Our stories are no longer the teachers of what we do or do not want. They are our opportunities to embody and claim our true story. When I am unsure whether life as I am living it is based on my true story or is based on a series of false narratives, the best technique is for me to be as true as possible to what really is. This means that I work to release everything and everyone including me, from the story I am telling myself. To get closer to what is, I stop telling the story and start listening with as little judgment as possible. Being true to what is is not about getting rid of the stories of our lives forever, but more about finding a truer story that may be hidden behind tangential, subplots, unresolved cliffhangers, and character reshuffling. When we listen to our life, a truer narrative can emerge. I recall preparing for a meeting with a boss from whom I wanted a raise. My boss and I got along quite well, but I sometimes felt undervalued, as I was aware that the person who worked in my position before me had made much more money. As the meeting approached, I became more and more anxious and increasingly lost my grip on reality. I was full of stories about not getting paid what I deserved, which to me was clearly about not being appreciated and my boss feeling threatened by my talent. This, of course, was all because I was being taken advantage of. I entered the meeting so caught up in these stories that what was true was the furthest thing from my mind. Any trace of the grateful employee ready to receive a raise was gone. Instead, I was the enraged martyr, ready to sacrifice his livelihood in an attempt to expose to my boss his cruelty. Thirty seconds into the meeting, the boss offered me a substantial raise. I had no time to fire back at him. I thanked him and left the meeting. The many screenplays I had replayed that left me unable to get to sleep at night had not been green-lighted after all. I was called back to reality, shook his hand, thanked him, and left. The stories began to diminish. I slept better and my work life improved. If I had been truer to what I really wanted, I could have been more clear, committed, and compassionate towards my boss. Deep down... I didn't want any part in those stories I was telling myself, but I had gotten so caught up in them that I lost sight of what I really wanted—to be happier, healthier, and wealthier. When we forget what we really want, and act counter to our spiritual narrative, we get lost in characters that are untrue and start working against what we really want—the victim, the martyr, the unloved, the unseen, the unforgiven. These are all roles we fall into playing when we give up on being ourselves. How easy it is to forget that we are the actors getting lost in the parts. We become frozen in being the abandoned lover, the hermit, the grumpy old person, or the cynical observer. The philosopher Bertrand Russell said, We want to stand upon our own feet and look fair and square at the world, its good facts, its bad facts, its beauties, and its ugliness, See the world as it is, and be not afraid of it. Whatever the stories we make up in which we are unwilling to be true to what is can be damaging. She doesn't really love me. He is only interested in what I can do for him. I can stop tomorrow. I'm not that person anymore. When we simply stop telling the story long enough to listen closely to it, it can begin to tell itself again. We may even begin to sense a deeper narrative taking place and start choosing and acting in accordance with it. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Story, as much as any story, encapsulates that return to one's true story. No other story I know reveals what can happen to our character when we delve so deeply into an untrue story. Ebenezer Scrooge, so caught up in materialism and greed, has a spiritual experience, looking at the past, the present, and the future his spirit is returned to him, and he rejoices. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shed out the lessons that they teach. We all have these experiences that return us to a knowledge of the true purpose of our lives. When they are slow in coming, they are life-altering. Yet for many of us, they are simply moments of re-centering because they may be a weekly or even a daily occurrence. Scrooge was truly transformed by his visitations, as we are by our own. Yet in real life, when we tell ourselves certain stories that lead us into states of living that are undesirable, like Scrooge and his humbug, we are bound to struggle not to slip back into them at times. When we come back to love from anger, or back to trust from fear, we have to give our narrative room to re-establish itself. We have to catch ourselves from falling back into playing those worn-out parts, and let our individuality take center stage again. This is done not by telling ourselves a new story, but by applying our newfound self-understanding with clarity and purpose. The power of the story is always in the storyteller, yet we are beholden to something larger—the truth. The closer we get to it, the more we are in line with and embody what we really are, When it comes to truly discovering our spiritual narrative, it is not the story that we tell, but the one that reveals itself that we want to pay the closest attention. Story or narrative is the metaphor we are using for spiritual living, but there is a key difference between a spiritual narrative and a book, for example. A book has a beginning, middle, and end. Our spiritual narrative does not. If our life is like a book, the fulfillment of our spiritual narrative is possible on each and every page. It doesn't have a starting or end point, other than wherein we bring our attention. Our true story is not defined by life events per se, but by moments of clarity, unity, and discovery. A book focuses on overcoming trials and offering solutions to problems that lead to specific outcomes. Our spiritual narrative uses trials and problems to realize its theme with no concern for outcome. Our life stories are often told in relationship to our successes or our failures. Our spiritual narrative knows no failure, its only intention is to fulfill its theme. In an impersonal way, it doesn't care if that happens through what we may perceive as a failure or success, because its victory is not defined through accomplishment but through its own fulfillment. The spiritual narrative's purpose is not defined as an accomplishment or outcome, but as an embodiment of virtue. It is not whether you win or lose, but whether you experience love more deeply now than you did before. It is not about whether you get to where you're going, but more about who you have come to be on the journey. It is not about the outcome, but the connections. A book often seeks a balanced ending. Our spiritual narrative seeks a way of life. A spiritual narrative is also different from what we might call a calling, or a dream. A spiritual narrative is a way of living in alignment with your soul, not reaching an endpoint. It is the life that follows an inward realization, not the other way around. Some dreams come true, yes, but most dreams are just guides. A calling can be to become something, but mostly, it is a way of being in the world. Living your spiritual narrative is about truly living. In spiritual terms, the truth is a slippery thing and that it is untrue to define it. The pursuit of truth is seemingly our only way of getting a glimpse of it and having a valid experience of it. Certainly it exists, even if we don't know what it is. It seems only rational that at times it informs us and perhaps even guides us if we are listening. It is not necessarily a god somewhere that has a plan for us in his bigger scheme of the world but a spiritual narrative that exists like our life's potential, a call that each of us must answer and choose to live in accordance with. Have you ever lost something only to realize you already had what you were really looking for? I risk sounding trite, but I have found it true that my relationship breakups have taught me love, my failure success, and my shortcomings my potential strengths. All of this in the realization that I have too often in my life been more attached to what I thought I believed things should look like instead of living my beliefs and trusting the result. Love looks like this. Success looks like this. It takes wisdom to listen when love and success look back at you and say, no, think again. The message? Don't have love, live love. Don't have success, live success. I remember having a breakup conversation with one of my first girlfriends. I had started feeling tied down by the relationship. Her feelings about our love being brand new got old. We had separated, and like so many relationships, I was desperately wanting to get back together, and she was already in relationship with an imaginary partner who didn't exist yet. As we were arguing, I was listening, but I was suffering with the idea that I was just like everyone else. Here we were in our special relationship, just going through the motions. We were living everyone else's narrative. I gave in. I got angry. I took a glass and flung it across the room and it shattered against the wall and went all over the floor. We stared at each other. I got up. She got up. I'll get it, I declared. No, I'll get it, she said. Our polite selves, through the drama of a broken glass, came forth. This didn't stop the breakup. Leaving that night, she said to me, Josh, at night when it's dark and everything is quiet and I'm holding you— I love you more than anything. Those weren't our last words, but if they had been, that would have worked for me. Our relationship had been a failure, and yet my spiritual narrative was being realized in ways beyond my imagination. My story was being changed forever by a sad ending to a relationship. My spiritual narrative was evolving.